Welcome to the Cashflow Guys Podcast. Join Tyler and his team as they unlock the secrets to achieving financial independence through wealth-building strategies inspired by Robert Kiyosaki and other thought-provoking leaders. Learn to build leveraged streams of cash flow that land in your pocket and improve your quality of life. Gain access to cutting-edge ideas that will increase your productivity and streamline your success. Find out how to supercharge your retirement plan so you won't have to retire with a pay cut. You can escape the rat race. Are you ready? It's time to Learn to Earn with Tyler Sheff. Welcome to the Cashflow Guys podcast. It's that time again. I want to welcome listeners back to the show. It's time to learn to earn. We're going to cover a different topic this week than we have before. We're going to talk about what is a good deal. But before we go in there, I want to give you a little bit of housekeeping and remind you, if you have not joined our Facebook group, if you want to interact with me or the other guests that are on the show, you want to take your real estate investing to the next level. You want to learn more learn how to earn go to cashflowguys.com forward slash group and get registered for our facebook group that link will take you directly to our facebook group if you're on facebook if you're not you probably should be you go there you click the link it takes you directly over to facebook you request a membership it is absolutely free of charge and i will approve you or somebody on the team will approve you and get you started on our facebook group so i'll be a little more active in there getting things going most recently we did have a uh Question, a couple question and answer sessions that went off with a great hitch. We had a bunch of people on there asking some good, solid questions. They got some uh, valuable advice, I hope, and I think the overall feedback from it was very positive. So I want to thank you that for those of you that uh, took your time out to join me on that video call. The beauty about the platform, we use a platform called Zoom. It's a free video platform. It's not one of those hokey webinar type things. And it's a regular video, kind of like a Skype type thing. We're in a group setting. We're in a room, and we can talk back and forth. Or if you're feeling a little shy, you can turn your camera off. We can just hear your voice. Or if you're not even comfortable doing that, you can mute your volume, mute your video, and you can type your questions in the chat box, and I will answer your questions live. So that's what we've been doing, and we're going to start doing more of that, and we hope to see you on our uh, Facebook group so you can take part of that benefit. Good deals. I hear all the time. People call me. They say, Tyler, if you got any good deals, give me a call. Well, that's kind of a loaded, you know, loaded statement. I see good deals based on my criteria all the time, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to match your investor identity, that they're going to make sense for you, that the numbers are good to for you. Now, what I do find is that my numbers, when I look, when I underwrite a deal, I am more conservative than most of my clients are. So when I discover a, an opportunity and I underwrite that opportunity and discover that the, it passes my test, it usually passes most of my investors test. But that said, how I know this is I take time with each one of our buyers. As you all know, I am a licensed real estate agent focusing on commercial multifamily anywhere, basically from two units up to 500 units. That is my specialty. And I also work as a syndicator where I bring several investors together as a team. And as a team, we take down big assets and put big deals together where everybody wins. That's my favorite time when everybody wins. So if you are looking for a good deal, when you pick up the phone and schedule a consultation with me, 
which you should know how to reach me by now. But if you don't, go to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler, set an appointment with me. We'll be, I'd be happy to sit down with you, have a conversation over the phone or in person, talk about your investor identity and how we may help you find some great deals. How that process works is, is like this. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. We're going to have a good, solid conversation so I understand Number one, why are you investing? What are you looking for as an investment? I think that's very, very important because I think you, those of you that have listened to my show before, I'm not your ordinary average realtor. I'm not an order taker. What I do is I sit down and I get to the bottom of number one, what are your expectations? And more importantly, as compared to what, and if this is your first deal, that's going to take us a little bit of time. We're going to have to have some patience and work through these issues with you and make sure that you understand, number one, what you're investing in, that you feel good about the investment, and most importantly, that the return is in line with what your expectations are. Here's a perfect example of that, and I hear this quite often. I, doctors, for example, and attorneys, they're out, they're investing in real estate, but in some cases, when they invest, they the way they set the deal up is they wind up preventing themselves from reaping the tax benefits of investing in real estate. Folks, if you are investing in real estate and you are a high income earner, high W-2 income earner, the provider or whoever you are dealing with on that team that's putting that investment together needs to know that you are going to need some of the tax benefits of investing in real estate. If you're interested in learning more about that, reach out to your tax professional or give me a call and I can point you in the direction of a couple tax professionals that I'm sure could explain that to you in more, in more detail. The last thing a high W-2 or income earner that has a huge tax obligation needs is more taxable events without some way to mitigate those taxable events. So it's important when you're looking at an investment that you first figure out, how is this going to impact me tax-wise? Why am I actually investing in this deal? And when I decide that an investment makes sense based on what or as compared to what, based on what criteria? If you're an experienced investor, you've done several deals, you should have some idea of what a good deal looks like for you. Some people feel that a good deal is terms that make sense. People, in different, people interpret deals in different ways. Perfect example is, as you well know, a lot of the deals that I do have seller financing terms. This is also the way Larry Harbolt does business himself. One of the most popular things that you will hear Larry say all the time and you will also hear him say out in the field is, is the seller willing to accept payments for their equity? Well, for people like Larry, people like myself and serious investors, we understand the power of leverage. And we also understand that at some point the banks are going to shut us off because the more loans you go out and get, especially for real estate, you become a higher risk for the bank. So eventually the bank's going to shut you off and you have to start looking for other alternatives to fund your investments. That's where seller financing comes in as a powerful, powerful strategy. For me, one of the factors when I look at a good deal, and I know same thing for Larry Harbaugh when he looks at a good deal is, number one, the benefits for the buyer, if we're filling the buyer's role in securing owner financing terms. Here's a couple of those benefits. First of all, greatly diminished closing costs for me as the buyer. That comes from I don't have to get an appraisal if I don't want to with seller financing. I'm an investor for cash flow, so I'm not overly concerned with what the assets total value is. 
based on comparable sales because I'm a cash flow guy. I'm looking for the value based on the income. So provided that the asset provides a peels off a, a good amount of income and meets my needs, that's pretty much what I need to know that it's going to cover all of its debt. It's going to spill off a, a tidy or spin off a tidy profit on top of it. When I'm dealing with seller financing, I'm not having to pay the bank or the mortgage broker origination fees. And folks, one of the lenders I work with here in the Tampa Bay market, he doesn't charge any, any extra fees. So when we buy real estate and use institutional money through him or one of our clients does, they wind up saving sometimes tens of thousands of dollars just in the origination fees alone. Same thing if you're doing seller financing. Frank Cotto over at Lincoln Lending, he doesn't charge any origination fees and he won't and he doesn't charge points either in a lot of cases. So your closing costs are drastically diminished. Those origination points or origination fees rather, they could sometimes be 1%, 2%. I've seen as high as 3 4% in some cases. Folks, that's as much as a half of a real estate commission, a buyer's agent fee for originating the loan. Plus, the lender may charge points on top of that. Another big benefit of buying at seller financing, a way to get yourself a good deal, is with seller financing, you can buy in a flood zone without having the requirement of flood insurance. I don't know if you realize this or not, but I don't care where you are in the country. If you're buying as an investor and the property is located in a flood zone, your flood insurance premium will be unsubsidized. And what I mean by that is if you're an owner-occupant, in other words, you live in the home that you buy, FEMA or the federal government subsidizes your insurance premium. Many people don't realize that. So you really think your flood insurance is expensive now. Imagine what it would be with the subsidies off of it. Subsidies removed. So if you are buying investment property, investors are not subsidized. And this happens more often than I'd like to admit. I hear people, people call me on the phone and go, well, now what? I'm under contract. I've done, I've done inspections. I've done all this stuff. They bought a buy owner or something like that. They didn't have proper representation. They didn't do their homework. And now they discovered late in the game that guess what? They got a huge flood insurance bill. I looked at a duplex not too long ago. It's a $250,000 waterfront duplex. The flood insurance premium was going to be $20,000 a year. Well, that not only would have negated all of the profit that I would have made in one year, it would have negated all the profit I made in several years. There's no way I could do the deal. The deal didn't make sense. The only way it would make sense is if I owner occupied one side, which was the plan. But I would be, I would never be able to move until I paid off the mortgage because the minute I moved out and that became an investment property, the flood insurance would skyrocket and it would blow my investment. So we don't want to go there. Guys, just a quick side note on seller financing. You know, there's also benefits to the seller. Number one, you can reduce the seller's capital gains tax that they would pay when they close. Benefits to both of you makes a great deal. You can close fast. Nobody likes twiddling their thumbs and waiting for things to happen. I mean, you're buying for cash flow. Why don't you start your cash flow sooner than later? For the seller, it creates a predictable stream of income for the future, and it brings them a higher sales price more often than not. It gives that seller a higher overall return from the sale, and it helps them hedge against inflation. Talk about creating win-win deals. So think about negotiating seller financing terms when you're out there in the field. That's going to help you create great deals because with seller financing terms, you have a choice 
in the terms. You get to help negotiate the terms with the seller and come up with terms that create a good deal. Remember, folks, good deals are not found. I hear this all the time. I'm just trying to find a good deal. You are not going to find a good deal. I don't care whether you're the MLS, buy owner, off market, under your mattress, wherever you're looking, you're not going to find a good deal. You're going to have to get out there, roll up your sleeves and create one. That's just how business is done. That is the reality of it. Because I don't know a whole lot of people or too many people that are out there underpricing their properties on purpose. Buy owners do it sometimes. But they're getting smarter as time goes on. Buy owners now have internet access. They go on Zillow and they put the prop they find their property value. Zillow's using computer algorithms to guess what their value is. They may or may not be right or wrong. It depends on the property. And they wind up overpricing or underpricing their property. My point is that sometimes what appears to be a bad deal based on the asking price can turn out to be a great deal at the same asking price if you negotiate terms that are acceptable. What Larry always taught me was it's, if it's your price, then it's going to be my terms. And if it's my price, then we'll do it on your terms. Here's a perfect example. I feel the need to have a, get a, a big discount. I got a kid over in Tampa that I was thinking about coaching. I didn't bring him on because I couldn't get this through his thick head. He was so concerned about getting a great deal, so concerned on the purchase price, he couldn't see the forest through the trees. Well, I can't help a guy like that. So I turned him down for coaching based on that. It's not worth it. Because, folks, when you're buying for cash flow, it doesn't matter what you pay as a gross figure for the property. What matters is what it costs you to own it, what the monthly cost of control of that asset is. That, for me, is what decides whether or not it's a good deal. I'll pay you a million dollars, and Larry says this on a regular basis, I'll pay you a million dollars for your little house if I can give you 150 bucks a month until paid because I don't care what the sales price is. The sales price is only something which you can brag to your friends. It's something that the taxes, your gains taxes are based on, hint, hint. You don't want to pay big capital gains, maybe, and Larry just informed me of this this weekend. I was having lunch with Larry and one of my students. Maybe you buy the property at the original selling price. How about that? And then make interest-free payments for the principal. People think you're crazy, right? No, you're not crazy. What if you bought something else from the same person to make up the difference? There's all kinds of creative ways you can do things. Bottom line is, you know, the tax code is written to help you Avoid paying tax legally. Read the tax code or, better yet, hire a professional that can do it for you. But getting the terms to make sense is what is the number one way that you can create great deals. I think a terrible deal is any deal where Tyler has to write a big check. Frankly, any deal I have to write any check. Here's why. I've busted my hump for many, many years. I've been in this business almost two decades now. I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm doing. I'm completely confident. And I've built a rock star team. I don't want to use my own money. I'm not going to use my own money in deals. And because I've done very well in the industry and I've got lots of assets and I've got a great track record, I don't have to use my own money. The bonus there is, is that I get to help other people put their money to work in my deals. They join me in the deal as a private money investor. So I don't have to sit, go to the bank and, and, get on bended knee and, and beg that they'll accept me. This week, I think last time I checked, I had a 720 credit score. I bet if I check it next week, it'll be a 680. And the week after that, it'll be an 800. 
credit scoring system boggles the mind. I don't understand how it works, and I don't think anybody else does either. One of the big mistakes I see investors make, and I don't care whether you're a, a brand new investor or you are a proven veteran, is buying based on what something will do. Man, I'll tell you, I shine that house up pretty. It's going to be worth twice what I'm paying for it. So I'm going to go ahead and give the seller a little more so I can get the deal. Guys, if you're overpaying for the property, you just blew the deal. Don't overpay for the property. Do not make the mistake of paying based on what something will do. Pay for a property. Come up with a price based on what something does do. That is critical. I will say it again. The price you pay should reflect the current performance of the asset. The price you pay should reflect the current performance of the asset. That means you're going to have to take the time to verify the facts are, are, are as they're presented. Forget about if you're buying multifamily, especially the bigger apartment buildings, forget about pro formas. All they're doing is telling you what it will do. That doesn't mean anything to you. You need to do your own research and verify that. I don't care if you're investing with a syndicator or you're doing a deal on your own or you're just buying something with your buddies. Forget about what the selling side provides you. That's about as, as valuable as a napkin. That's giving you inflated future things. If all the stars line up, the sun comes out, and it never rains again, the property will do this. If I have all the perfect 300 of the most perfect tenants in the whole world that all win the lottery in the same day, the property will do this. Those numbers are garbage. Don't get caught up in that. Do not base your buying decision or the price that you're going to pay based on the future performance of a property. Just don't do it. I know I've said it time and time again. I'm going to say it again. Don't do it. So that always brings the question, well, Tyler, this building is only half occupied. Well, here's the deal. Option one, Mr. Seller, bring it up to 100% occupied, and I will pay you 100% occupancy value. Or I can buy it as it sits based on the income it produces, because here's the deal. No matter what, I got to pay debt service on this. I got to pay the, the bills come out of this property. It's going to cost money. It's going to have expenses. How am I going to make those expenses if I haven't allowed for them and if I don't have the income to do it? So I'm going to have to stop what I'm doing to get this property, get my team motivated and get them mobilized over here to rent up this asset, lease up this asset. For that to happen, there's probably going to be some repairs, correct? We're going to have to solve some problems before we can get that thing performing. So my question would be is who is paying for that in the meantime? Folks, one of the ways you can mitigate this is, let's say you negotiate seller financing terms with the seller. I assure you, there is no rule anywhere in the country that says you have to start making the payments the day after closing. Hey, Mr. Seller, you know, the place is missing half of its tenants. They've moved off and left, and I got to renovate this place, and it's going to take me two years. So based on that, I can start making you payments in two years. That's completely fair. And you do what you say you're going to do. You follow through, and you do just that. A fair seller or a fair investor will realize that, that you're not blowing smoke, that you're not promising what you can't deliver. So six months later, you come to them and say, oh, by the way, I misjudged things. Wrong answer. That's not how it goes. Have the conversations. And now you're going to say to yourself, I can hear some of you right now in the back of my mind, driving down the car, driving down the road in your car going, they'll never go for that. How do you know that? How do you know the seller won't go for that? You don't know because you cannot guess what another human being is doing. If that's the case, I would never be in trouble with my wife. I can assure you that. 
guys, we know that we can't assume what the other, our wife is thinking. And ladies, you can't assume what your husband's thinking. Although ladies, you're a little smarter than us. So chances are, actually, you're a lot smarter than us. You're going to be more, you're going to be correct more often than the men ever will. But that's a whole other story. I digress. You got to think to yourself, how much cash do you have in this deal? And if you're not, if you don't have cash in the deal, think about how much time do I have in the deal? And that's the metric that I use as a, as a baseline for me. I look at my hourly, what I feel my time is worth per hour. But when I look at that, I leverage that against the asset and go, okay, how much of Tyler's time is this asset going to consume? How much of my team's time is this going to consume? Because when my team invests time in it, Tyler incurs a cost. So I think about that and I factor those things in. Let's say, for example, if I've got my attorney has to help me with the due diligence because there's, let's say, some environmental concerns and we have to do a, a phase one and a phase two environmental and I may have to get an attorney involved to negotiate these things or do something like that. Well, that could cost me anywhere from three to $500 an hour for that piece. Heck, the environmental itself could cost a ton of money. I have to allow for these things. I have to weigh that against the purchase price and the current performance of the asset to see if it makes sense or not. Another thing I think about is what is my cash on cash return? That's what excites me. That's what I care about. Now, granted, most of my deals are currently actually all of everything that I own right now is, uh, is with private money. I don't have my own money invested in the deals. And the reason is I don't have to because I have the experience. I have the tools. I have the team to put the deals together. I help other people get their money involved in deals. And I will say in some cases I've invested my real estate commissions into deals to come become an equity partner and make that commission last that much longer. Of course, you're selling bigger deals. You can make much bigger commissions. And I will do that for a, an investor that A, needs it, and B, that I want to continue working with after the closing. That's an important factor, believe it or not. If I don't like you, chances are I'm not going to work with you. I don't really care what the commission is because I have passive income. I don't need my real estate commission. I like it, but I don't need it. It's not the end of the world for me. But I think about what is my cash-on-cash cash return? This is something I do for my investors. When my investors buy an asset through me and I am their agent, I use sophisticated software to do a cash flow analysis for them. It comes out five pages long. We go through that bad boy line by line. My investors, my buyers, my clients understand exactly where the profit is currently or more importantly, sometimes where it went. That's critical. If the property's not performing, we need to do what I call where's Waldo. Where did it go? Why is this asset failing? Folks, if you're out there repositioning assets, apartment buildings, gas stations, I don't care what it is, you have to determine what the problem is. You have to determine why this asset is not performing like it should. That's critical. If you can't answer that question, <laughs> I wouldn't be signing on the dotted line. You're going to have to discover the problem because if you can't discover the problem, guess what? You cannot fix it. So keep that in mind. Cap rate. I could talk for an hour on cap rate and why I think cap rate is garbage. In my opinion, cap rate belongs is used by inexperienced investors and real estate agents. That's what it's used for. Here's why. Cap rate does nothing but explain. It's a, it's a metric used to compare the ratio between the purchase price and the NOI, better known as net operating income. It does not include repairs or debt service. And because it does not include repairs or debt service, 
I call it, and I consider it an inaccurate metric. I don't care what the cap rate on something is. I could care less. Don't call me and tell me it's got 20 cap, because the first thing I'm going to tell you is, well, it's in a war zone, or it's a train wreck. There's a reason why it's a, it's a 20 cap. That doesn't excite me. Debt service alone can make a deal or break a deal. If you've got lousy debt against the property, and when I say lousy debt, I don't mean non-performing debt or bad debt or anything like that. What I mean is expensive or spendthrifty debt, debt that doesn't make sense. You know, if you're paying out 40% interest on a loan, not that you would do that, but I'm saying the interest rate's very high or the term is too short and the debt doesn't match the deal, you got problems. Balloon payments are, are one of the biggest ones out there. Balloon payments is a way for the lenders and the banks to reduce their risk by getting bought out five, 10 years down the road. I don't like balloon payments. I'm not a fan. The reason why I'm not a fan is when I buy, I want to be done. I want to reposition my asset, get it cash flowing, and off we go. Investors and I make our money, and we're sitting on the beach having a good old time. I don't like to be doing the dance every five years having to court some bank to come pay us out, buy us out, or refinance out the property. Now, granted, I will refinance on purpose. Investors want to move their asset or move their capital into other deals. We've got other opportunities coming. We want to do it when it's our decision to do it, not when we're forced to do it by the deal. So we try to write deals so that we don't have to do that as much. Now, it's common. A lot of our investors want to be in for a couple of years, and then they want to move back out again. And that's perfectly fine. If we know that going in, we can structure that. There are ways to work that out. So it creates a win-win. You got to ask yourself, what is the debt coverage ratio? Now, people also will call that the DCR or the DSCR. DCR is obviously debt coverage ratio. DSCR is debt service coverage ratio. It means the exact same thing. Okay, And that basically is the ratio of the debt to the income. How much income is left over after paying all these expenses to cover the debt? Now, like I said, I am conservative. I try to get my debt coverage ratio to be a two or a greater. That's me. That's the way I like to invest. I want to be ultra conservative. I can tell you banks. I was with a banker today and the banker sat. I was having a conversation with the banker and he's like, oh, we'll underwrite it a 1.25 debt coverage ratio. I thought to myself, that's interesting. Because five minutes ago, you also said that you have a 10 year balloon and a 20-year amortization, which means in 20 years, the loan payments are based on a 20-year cycle, okay? So the loan only lasts for 20 years. But halfway through that period, in 10 years, you have to pay the loan in full, which means you either need to refinance it or dump enough of the profit into the deal every month to make sure it's paid off in 10 years. Well, guys, if you've got a debt coverage ratio of 1.25, to me, that sounds like an expensive deal. There's not a lot of profit in that deal. So my question to the banker was, where's the money going to come from? And his answer was, well, you just simply refinance it. And, and this isn't a shot on him. He's a good guy. Knows what he's talking about. And he's working within the bank's parameters. My point is the underwriting departments of these banks, they're just coming up with these metrics, but they're not the ones that are having to exercise and pull the triggers down the road. So don't step into, use a Larry Harbolt term again, don't step into somebody else's quicksand. Don't do it. Got to ask yourself, why are you buying? Are you buying for cash flow? Or are you buying for speculation? Make sure you cover your risks. Make sure you verbalize to yourself your risks. Here's a little metric I do. If I am not, if I am not able to be proud enough to tell my friends about the deal, my partners, my buddies that are in this industry, 
the people in my sphere of influence, that usually tells me that the deal is terrible and I'm embarrassed by it. So if you're unable or unwilling to share that the, the, the deal before you pull the trigger on it, there's a chance, a pretty good one, that you're overpaying. Rethink it. Check those numbers before you pull the trigger. ARV, I'm going to quickly cover ARV. ARV, for those of you that don't know, stands for After Repair Value. Folks, ARV is subjective. It's, based, it's basing your value on other people's mistakes and poor judgment. That's my personal opinion. Right now, we're in a marketplace where people are buying things that are yielding a 1%, 2 and 3% return annualized. That's ridiculous because there's scarcity mentality in the marketplace right now. People are just in a panic. They've got to get themselves an asset. And oh my goodness, if they don't get themselves an asset, the sky's going to fall or something. I don't understand it. Don't get suckered in by this ARV after repair value and comps. Again, we're not paying for, notice it says after repairs. We're not paying for what a property will do. We're paying for what a property does do. If it's a train wreck, pay for it accordingly. Compensate accordingly. Folks, ARV comes from comparable sales in most cases. This is something that the wholesalers use on a regular basis. ARV, I think Ron Legrand invented it. The term ARV. It's usually based on comparable sales. What that means to me is garbage in, garbage out. If you're in a neighborhood where the comparables are not relative to the property that you're buying, well, then those comparables aren't very good. You're going to have to make adjustments. So they line up with the subject property. And comparable, doing comps and market analysis is something I'll talk about in a future episode. But bottom line is, and this is a very common mistake, picking invalid comps. Don't make that mistake. You're going to get crushed if you pick invalid comps. More importantly, you're working with a real estate agent especially on multifamily, they better own some of it. If they don't own multifamily, find, keep working and find another agent until you find one that owns multifamily. That is critical. I can't say that enough. Because unless you've owned it, unless you've gone through the steps of stabilizing it, you've got no business telling other people how to do it. That I can assure you. Realtors make mistakes on value more often than anyone else. And that's not necessarily because they're just trying to get a commission. Like what people think, that couldn't be farthest from the truth. It's because they were never taught. The valuation in the Florida Real Estate Handbook, the section on valuation, is about two pages long. That's it. Yet the Florida Appraiser's License book is the size of a phone book. Go figure. The agents are not provided the proper education to determine proper value in most cases. That takes experience. You cannot come out of real estate school and have any remote clue how to properly value a property. I'm sorry, but you're not. The only way that's going to be the case is if that person has gone to appraisal school and maybe has 20 years experience as an appraiser. Folks, same thing. A guy comes out of appraisal school or a girl comes out of appraisal school. They don't get it either because appraisal is not a science. No book is going to have you nail it every time. Appraisal is an art. Understand that. Realtors constantly miss overprice and underprice multifamily, especially small multifamily assets because they use comparable sales as a metric to judge the price to come up with a sales price instead of the income method. When you are putting a value on, on cash flowing assets, on rental property, you've got to use the income method. What Harry down the street sold his fourplex for has no bearing on yours. You know why? Because Harry's property is not performing at the exact same level as yours is. 
folks, what if Harry is collecting $4,000 a month rent for his fourplex, but your fourplex is only creating six hundred or $2,400 a month? Do you really think that your fourplex is worth as much as Harry's? Of course not. Yours is worth significantly less. So don't let your agents pull comps. And I've done a test before I did this episode. I called about eight, nine listings out of the MLS to see how many of them use comps. I'm like, hey, how you doing? This is Tyler Caldwell Banker Commercial. Just curious, looking at that property, trying to get an idea. Did you use the income method or comps when you did comparables? Trying to learn. All, every single one of those phone calls, everybody said the same thing. Oh, we're using comparables. And we used a house around the corner and two blocks down that was built three years ago as a comparable for a fourplex built in the 1960s. Doesn't work, folks. Doesn't work. Don't care who you are. It's not going to work. That's going to get you in trouble. Here's the scary part. Appraisers will come in, uh, and I've seen this happen. They will come in because the lenders are letting them do this and do an appraisal based on comparable sales, even though it's an income property. And then, of course, it, it appraises. The guy buys it, and then a year later, they call me, and they find out they want to know, you know, I have this rental property. Why do I keep writing checks to it instead of taking checks from it? Well, that's because somebody led you down a path, and you overpaid doesn't mean that the person that sold you the property was being malicious. Heck, they don't know what they're doing either. Bottom line is, that's why this, that's one of the reasons I, I recorded this episode, to give you these metrics to help you understand where value comes from so that you can be in a better position to understand exactly what is a good deal. Folks, I hope you learned something from this episode and, and you took away some nuggets that will help you in your next deal. If you have questions, you need some help reviewing a deal, Head on over to cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. Cashflowguys.com forward slash ask Tyler. If you're interested about our coaching programs, you can head over to my website, cashflowguys.com forward slash coach. You can fill out the little type form there. It will send us an application. One of the team will look it over. And if it looks like it's something that could be a, a fit for both of us, then I'll, we'll get on the phone and discuss how we can help you. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here to help you, but we can't help you if you don't pick up the phone and reach out to us. And a lot of you have done a really good job of picking up the phone and letting us help you. And everybody thinks that, well, geez, there's, there's got to be a catch. Now I hate to tell you, there's no catch. I don't have a credit card machine. We're here to help. And we hope that you take the information that we provide you and help someone else with it, that you give back to the community because we've given to the community and the community has given back to us. And that's what we're trying to do here at Cashflow Guys. So thank you very much for spending this time with me and we will catch you on the next episode. Have a great day. This concludes today's episode. You don't have to wait till the next episode to learn to earn. Head over to cashflowguys.com and contact Tyler and his team for more powerful tips and ideas. So you can start generating multiple streams of income and escape the rat race.